you good morning Gwen something else isn't she wow what a find what a blessing you don't meet many Gwens that's for sure well good morning everybody's doing well you realize that today this is the end of an era this is the end We came here in 1993, sat right back up there, fell in love with Vine Life. And from that time till this time, which is our real life experience, we've always been in a uh, two-service format. And starting next week, we're going to go to a single-service format so that we can bring the family together, so that we can have opportunities to train and equip, and so we can have more interaction. So it's going to be great. But this is the last. You're here. Mark this day. This is the last of a wonderful era that we had, okay? So we're moving on to where God's leading us next with excitement and encouragement. That's for sure. I wanted to talk to you this morning about the kingdom. Now, we got a whole bunch of scriptures here. I kind of lost it in the scripture department. And so you'll have to endure those. And I'm, I don't think I'm going to read them all, but you never know what happens in the moment. So please bear with me. Because I think it's a very important topic, the kingdom. The kingdom. If you look in your Bible at uh, Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 to 17, Matthew 4, 12 to 17, you'll see, if you have the kind I got, you'll see red letters in this part, I think. And they're really important ones. But what this is about is that uh, it says, When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he returned to Galilee, leaving Nazareth, and he went and lived in Capernaum. Now, this, all of this fulfills a scripture, a prophecy that had been given hundreds of years earlier. And it says, From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Rethink yourself, because the kingdom of heaven is near. Something that's interesting about this to me is this is when Jesus launched his ministry. If you go a chapter earlier, you will find John the Baptist saying the very same thing. Repeat, repeat, repent, but the kingdom of heaven is near. Okay? It's coming. And John's off the stage now. John's in prison. We all know, because we've read farther in the book, he's going to lose his head ultimately. But he's off, and he's paved the way for Jesus, just as the Scripture said. So repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. So Jesus announces the kingdom, and then he says, Seek first. Seek first. If you go over to Luke 12, uh, Luke chapter 12, 27 through 31, this is the tail end of a teaching that Jesus is bringing, and the tail end of the tail end of this is this. He says, do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Don't worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well, because it's not a matter of provision. It's a matter of priority. 
That's what we're seeking. First, the kingdom, because we know all things will follow. Everything that we need. What are the desires of your heart, God asks us. It's there for us. It's there for us. Now, seeking is not a word we use a lot anymore. Uh, I know last night the CU Buffaloes were seeking to win, but it didn't work out for them. And uh, I was kind of pondering this idea of seeking. So, okay, Lord, what, what does that mean? Looking for is what I thought of. And I was led to Romans 12 and the first two verses. And in the NIV, Paul writes this. He says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, when Paul was writing this, Uh, to the church in Rome, he was writing at a time where in that culture there was a common awareness of sacrifice in the different kinds of religions that existed, uh, even the Jewish faith, uh, animals were killed, things of value were destroyed, burn grain, burn oil, kill a bird. All these things were done as an act of worship or an act to seek the favor of whoever that power was that was being worshipped. So note that what Paul wrote here is he said living sacrifice. He didn't say sacrifice, he said living sacrifice. I like the way it is in the message, the message paraphrase. And here's what that same set of verses says. It says, so here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Now, I like that. That makes sense to me. Does it make sense to you? I like that because I know I carry the kingdom. I know you carry the kingdom. And wherever we put our feet, that's where the kingdom is. Wherever we sit down, that's where the kingdom is. Wherever we go, that's where the kingdom is. It's not in being religious. It's not in, in being scripturally aware. It's not in those things. It is in being who you are. It's in being, you know, we had the students from uh, Vineline University, the graduates up talking several weeks ago. You may have been here. What was the consistent theme? It wasn't that they learned how to do something. It was that they learned how to be someone. Be the kingdom. Be Christ in you. That's what we're talking about here. And that's what seek is all about. That's what seek is all about. This little object here is my passport. Okay? It's blue. It's got 
American thing on the front of it, and when I open it up in there, there's a picture of me and some information about me. And what this passport does is it is proof of my citizenship. It is proof of my citizenship. So it's a document of my identity. The second thing that it does is it gives me access to the power of this kingdom. So if I'm in Rio de Janeiro and I'm robbed, I don't have any money, I can go to the American consulate or embassy and my citizenship will get me help. My kingdom will help me. Or if I'm in Paris and I get arrested, then I'm in jail and I can call my consulate or my embassy and they'll send someone to help me to get me a lawyer and and so forth. Or say I'm uh, backpacking in Iraq for some reason and, and I stray across the border into Iran and I'm arrested. This unleashes the military and the diplomatic power of my kingdom on my behalf. It gives me power. It gives me access to power. But there's one thing that it does not give me. It does not give me freedom. It does not offer freedom. It gives me the right to pay my taxes. It gives me the right to have my property protected. But it does not create freedom. And the fact is, we were built to be free. Okay? So it's like, it's like being an expert at um, Moravian basket weaving. It's a great thing, but it's not what we're built for. Okay? We're built to be free. We were built to be princes and princesses of the kingdom. It's about freedom. When we belong to the kingdom of heaven, we have a passport. That's it right there. That passport has in it everything about you. It has your identity. It has what you were designed to be. It has what will hold you up. It has what will carry you through the worst of times. That's your passport right there. And that's the kingdom that you belong to. It gives you access to all the kingdom of power. So when you look at Scripture... You can find, I'll bet you you can think of ten more things than I've thought of. But if you look at 1 Peter 3.18, it says, For Christ died for sins once for all. You're a citizen. I'm a citizen. Everyone is a citizen. If you have a pulse, you're a citizen if you choose to declare your citizenship. You have to declare your citizenship. I used to work down on the border with Mexico. We'd go to Mexico and have lunch from Rio Grande City to Camargo. Uh, and it's an open border. It's, even after 9-11, it's a pretty open border. When you come back into the United States, you drive up to the U.S. Customs and Immigration booth, and the guy sticks his head in the window and looks at you, and what you do is you say, I declare I'm a citizen of the United States. That's exactly what you say. You don't say, hi, I'm back, or anything like that. You say, you declare your citizenship. This scripture declares your citizenship. It declares it. And our challenge at times is with all the people who could have that citizenship, convincing them that they should declare it. That's a challenge that we have. It gives us access to all kingdom power, and in a way that I think is so cool. If you look at um, 2 Corinthians 3, 
verses 4 through 11, it says this, Such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. Not that we're competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. New covenant! We're ministers of a new covenant. Not the law, not the letter, but the Spirit. But the Spirit. Every one of us has all of that power. It's all in here, in your passport. That's where it is. And it gives us full freedom. Now, freedom's a tricky word. Freedom's a tricky word. Sometimes I think about, you know, words, it's like when you send a word, it has suitcases. It carries these little suitcases along of meaning. So if I say to you the word politician, there's some suitcases of meaning there. Now, the word literally means someone who's involved in the development of public policy. But do you think of it that way? Or do you have some little suitcases in there about other things. That's the way words work. And a place where we get confused sometimes and don't even realize it is in our culture, we think sometimes that the word freedom and the word independence mean the same thing. And they don't mean the same thing at all. But we think of it that way. When, when Betty and I were young, it was the me generation. It was, what's your bag? Do your own thing. And all that old language. It's all about me, okay? I'm independent. Once upon a time, there were bumper or uh, buttons, not bumper stickers, but, well, maybe those two that said, oh, he's not my president, whoever he was. Seemed to apply to everybody, you know? We're independent. We're independent. That's not the same. That's not the same as... Freedom. Independence is built around self-interest, self-image, self-esteem, self-ambition, self-indulgence, all of these selves. You see, the enemy of the kingdom of heaven is not the kingdom of man. It's the kingdom of self. It's us. It's our collective kingdom of self that makes the idea of kingdom of man even occur. Don't you want to be God? Don't you have those times when you just want to do it? Right? I know God said this, but I'm going to do that. Maybe that's only me. But when we cling to the things of self, we exclude ourselves. We exclude ourselves from a relationship with our Father. I'll give you an example, and I got permission to tell you this story. I didn't tell it first service, but uh, our son Aaron, he's our oldest son, and he has a degree in Russian. Apparently speaks Russian. I couldn't tell you. He says these things, but I don't speak it, so I he could be fooling me. I have no idea. Okay, but uh, Aaron didn't start out that way. Aaron graduated from high school, and when he did, uh, we did what probably everybody does. We went to the graduation. We had a party, cards, gifts, well wishes, and all of those things. And Aaron at that time was not interested in going on in school. So I noticed the Monday morning after this all occurred that Aaron was on the couch in the lower living room as I was leaving for work. Now, I don't really care for this. In, in, in my value, if I'm working, everybody's working, okay? And Aaron was not working. So I watched him for a couple of days, and I realized that he'd taken up residence on the couch. He had moved in. There were a stack of VCR tapes and things, and I realized that he had taken up residence. You see, what Aaron thought that graduation extended to him 
was independence. So I went to him and I said, hey, look, Aaron, I, uh, you know, you've graduated and everything. Congratulations. I love you. Uh, and uh, it's time for you to start looking for a job because you don't want to go in school. And he said, well, Dad, it's summer vacation. And I said, not for you. That's all over for you, man. <laughs> and after a couple of weeks, he got a job and, and, and it all worked out. And we went to college and so forth. But he was grabbing independence. I was offering freedom. I was saying, yeah, you can, you can uh, do what you need to do, but your, your freedom is based on my willingness to let you do it. Otherwise, I'll kick you out. Well, not really. I wouldn't kick him out. But. So that's how freedom and independence get, get confused. We have a slide we're going to put up. It's the Declaration of Independence. Everybody knows about that. Um, July 4, 1776, Congress writes a letter to King George. And they say, hey, when in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another, get that? Dissolve. And to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and nature's God entitled them. So what they're saying there is, it's come a time we need to sever our relationship with you. Not only that, but we are going to establish ourselves as equal to you. And then they go on in the declaration. We didn't put it up here, but they list all of their complaints against King George, the British Parliament, everybody else. And then they come down to this second paragraph, which is the conclusion. And the last sentence of that paragraph says that these united or uh, people of these colonies solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states and they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown. So in this whole thing, what they did first is they said it's time to have a divorce we're equal to you, these are the ways you've offended us, and we're done. That's a declaration of independence. How is it that anyone could be independent and be in relationship with our Father? How could that be? Whether How could Aaron be independent and equal to me in my house? How could that be? That couldn't happen. So what they were declaring was independence. What we're declaring is freedom. Freedom is a completely, completely different thing. If you look at John 15, chapters 9 through, or, uh, verses 9 through 11, you'll see the declaration of freedom. We were singing about it earlier this morning. It says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Your joy may be complete. That's the declaration of freedom. (sighs) Have you ever had the situation, for those who are here today that are parents, have you ever had that situation where... You did something for your child 
that you really didn't want to do. Like, not kill them. No. Like, <laughs> we love our kids. We don't necessarily like them all the time, but we love them. And you have those times when you do something for your child that is not a thing of self. Your self-interest says, I don't want to do that. But your declaration of freedom is the freedom of love to do it. We were talking the other day about events like Resound. And you may see this differently, and I hope you'll adopt this view, but here's how we see Resound. When we have the opportunity to pay the $39 to go, it's not that we have to pay, it's that we get to pay. That we get to sow into something. And that's what love is about. Freedom is about others. Freedom is not about us. It's about others. And I will bet, if you think about it in the file cabinet of your memory, if you look back, you can remember times you did that and how good you felt because you did it. In spite of the circumstances. In spite, I remember getting up in the middle of the night and feeding our first baby. I did not want to get up. I wanted to sleep. Okay? I wanted Betty to get up. <laughs> well, she did more than I did by far, believe me. But when I was doing it, I felt great because here was this little child. God had given me this beautiful little thing, and I could love her by feeding her. Freedom's a declaration of love. And the beauty of it is it's impervious. So what happens is this. You are in relationship with your father. You are in an effort to do the right thing, be the right person, make all the right decisions and so forth. What's your chance of success? Not very good. So you have this element of failure built into it. And it is in that gap that the enemy arrives and accuses. Accuses you. Accuses God. Accuses anybody you can think of. The enemy lives there. But when you're in love, love is without condition. Love is outside of circumstance or performance or anything else. When you're in a relationship of love with your father, there's no gap. There's no room. There's no place for the enemy to come against you. That, my friends, is freedom. That is freedom. I grew up in an era where President Kennedy said, let's try to go to the moon. We're going to send a man to the moon. And the space race began, and, you know, today you see these launches, and, and we're of a generation, the first one that ever managed to actually leave the planet, okay? And you've seen the pictures up there of uh, people in spacesuits. Now, if you think about it, a spacesuit is a pretty cool little device. You're inside this thing, and it has power. It has batteries. It has propulsion. It has rockets. It has oxygen. Good thing. It has water. It has food. It has communications. It has all of those things. It is fully equipped for anything that you might need to do in space. How much that is like each of us. You see, we're fully equipped. We're, we're fully furnished. God has put into us everything that we're going to need to take the spacewalk that he's calling us to. It's all there. It's all already there. But there's one thing that's important in this whole process. We're going to put up a picture of a spacewalk. And uh, you can see in this picture 
there's an astronaut above the big blue marble. And you see that thing in the upper right-hand corner? What is that? That's a tether. He is in relationship with that spaceship. He's connected. It's not passing anything to him. He's got it all there in his suit. He's connected. Now, let's put up the other picture. We have another picture of another kind of same spacewalk idea. Which picture would you want to be in? Exactly. Exactly. That is the picture of independence. And the first picture is the picture of freedom. It doesn't change what you do, but what it does is keep you from doing what the guy in the second picture is likely to do, and that is to drift off. And you drift off and ultimately run out of air, run out of food, run out of water, run out of battery, run out of something, because we're not tethered. That's a modern-day picture of what Jesus was talking about with the vine and the branch. If you look in uh, John 15, 5, he says it, he makes it pretty plain. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Hmm. Vine and the branch. I want to be tethered. Do you want to be tethered? I want to be. I don't trust me. You shouldn't trust you either, okay? I want to be tethered. I want to be tethered. You know we're a work in progress. I wish I was a fully baked muffin with sprinkles and frosting, but I'm not, okay? I'm a work in progress, and so are all of us, okay? And we're growing. We're in that Ephesians 4 place. It says this, um, It was he, meaning Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and knowledge and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We're a work in progress. We cannot be a work in progress if we're working independence. We have to be tethered. We have to grow. Our citizenship develops. Okay? It develops. And we access more and more and more of the power of our kingdom as we go along, as long as we're tethered. I want to talk about names. Names. It's uh, a couple of weeks ago, was it a week or two weeks ago that um, Luke was talking about names? Was it last week? He was talking about names. He was talking about a woman named Mariana de Jesus from Costa Rica and what her name meant and all of that. See, there's power in names. Names mean things. They mean things. Uh, my experience, I don't know if it would be like for you, but my experience has been when I, uh, uh, well, I recently had an issue with my hip. I didn't know what the problem was. Uh, so I went to the doctor, and the doctor looked at it, and he said, you have a SI joint issue. And now, what did I have? Well, number one, I had a name. 
I went home and looked it up on the internet, of course, self-diagnosed. Uh, and the other thing, by having that name, I had a kind of relief that I knew what it was. Do you feel that way? That name, that, that it told me, you know, when you go to the doctor and you have some amazing symptoms you can't figure out, and the doctor studies you and pokes and prods and does all that stuff, and then he says, oh, well, you've got lumpuckaroo. Or, you know, you got a case of the biggity bow jams. Whatever it may be, there's relief because we know the name. We know the name. Uh, I think it's interesting, if you look at Mark 5, verses 6 through 9, this is the story. 6 through 9 is kind of the tail end. Well, it's not really a tail end, but it's deep into the story. Jesus has come across... He's in the, in the land of the Gadarenes, and um, uh, he's at the edge of the area known as the uh, Decapolis, the Ten Cities. And Jesus, there's the story behind this, there's a man who lives among the tombs in that area who's possessed of demons, <clears throat> and he has real problems, and he runs around at night, and he cries and screams, and he cuts himself with stones, and they tried to chain him up, but he whipped them all and broke the chains. So it's a pretty serious thing. And that leads up to this scripture where <clears throat> we're told, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you evil spirit. Now that, we didn't hear that. We didn't know that. That Jesus sometime earlier, maybe moments, but sometime earlier had said, come out of him, you evil spirit. And now here's this man before Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He asks, what is your name? I think all of us have some things we need to ask that question about. What is your name? What's the name of the thing that we can't get rid of? The thing that's in our head but it's not paying rent, needs to be evicted. The thing that's in our heart what is that name? What is it? Is it envy, pride, fear, hatred, ambition, self-interest, self-indulgence? What is that name that we might cast it out, whatever it is? More than two decades ago, the people in our community our ancestors, if you will, although some are still around, came to a point where they asked that question. They said, what is your name? And they collected all of those names. And they took them out in front of the church on the island out here. And they buried them. We have a picture of that. That's where it's at. That's where it's at. Maybe today is the time that we need to have another burial, huh? Maybe today is the time for us to name some names and cast them out because they're counterfeit 
They don't fit this passport. They don't represent our identity. They have no place in our future. Now is the time, maybe, for us to do that. So we're going to ask the ushers to pass out some cards and pencils to you. And uh, what we'd like to do is this. Uh, Don't put your name on the card, okay? Don't do that. What we'd like you to do is take a few minutes. The worship team is going to bring a song and give some thought about the names of those things that are tormenting you. The names of those things that are interfering with you in your relationship with Jesus. The names of those things that hurt other people through you. Whatever those things are, write those names down on that card. Now, we want them pencils back, okay? So, when you've gotten that done, then just take your card and your pencil... And there's a bucket right over here, and there's one right under the cross right here. Just take it down there and throw them both in. And then what we're going to do is this. We're going to collect all of those, and we're going to put them in a bag, and we're going to go out, and we're going to open this grave, and we're going to bury them. They're dead. They don't belong to you. They don't belong to anybody. They're dead. So let's just take a moment, let's listen to this, and then just as you complete that, just walk up, and then in a moment we'll...